بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حمد الشاكرين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد طب القلوب ودوائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وعافية الأبدان وشفائها وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد كلما ذكرك الذاكرون وغفل عن ذكرك الغافلون Today's evening the subject being navigating the end of time ashratu sa'ad the signs of the end of times the subject has always been intriguing throughout the decades and even when we read early islamic history we will find that many people were intrigued with the subject but the subject was also distorted by many people the distortion occurred with regard to interpretation misinterpretation misapplication of many of the ahadith relating to ashratu sa'a and many of the verses of al-quranul karim regarding ashratu sa'a with regard to al-quranul karim the prime chapter surah al-kahf which relates to ashratu sa'a you will notice a theme within surah al-kahf that within surah al-kahf the knowledge of the ghaib is always deferred to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reveal so for instance the companions of the cave how many years they slept in the cave allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals how many they were they initially some of them said they are five the sixth one is the dog some of them said six and the seventh one is the dog some of them said seven and the eighth one is the dog allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that in order to give us bring our attention to the point that the ultimate ghaib is only with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there are certain questions that no matter how much we attempt to dwell on those questions with our minds we will never reach a conclusion we would need guidance from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam then within surah al-kahf there is the story of sayyiduna dhulqarnain alayhi salam and the identity of dhulqarnain alayhi salam is left meaning the exact identity because so many people they disputed regarding which king is this in human history that this entails that this king he ruled the east and the west but the point that they miss is that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not identify the king because any future king who reads the story of dhulqarnain alayhi salam he will know that if he adopts these traits of dhulqarnain alayhi salam and establishes justice in his rule then he follows the guidelines of dhulqarnain alayhi salam who is not identified why because if he were identified then people would say those traits are specific to him so it was left general similarly within surah al-kahf you have the story of sayyiduna khidr alayhi salam and sayyiduna musa alayhi salam the ulama they differed with regard to the nabuwa of khidr alayhi salam some of them took the position that he was a nabi and this is the strongest qawl that he was a nabi of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that story the three questions sayyiduna musa alayhi salam inquires with regard to which were breaking the side of the boat and then the killing of a child and then straightening the wall what these three questions related to the ghaib also but musa alayhi salam needed patience until the answer was given and this is central to the theme of ashratu sa'a the signs of the end of times that people they need patience with regard to ashratu sa'a and when the signs of ashratu when the sa'a the signs of the sa'a 
they come about. They will come about when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills them to come about. So we live in an age of intrigue where the age we live in is strange in many ways and this brings people to exploit exploiting ashratu saha exploiting the signs of the end of times that you have people misinterpreting the signs what type of exploitation you had this amongst the christians like in the christian bible belt in recent history in 1988 elizabeth clear prophet that's her name elizabeth clear prophet she supposedly declared herself as a prophetess waliyadu billah but she made predictions and she said that the russians will launch nuclear weapons on america so she convinced her followers to build a bunker a shelter costing millions of dollars and human resources of constructing the bomb shelter and then of course when the year we know that communism finished in fact at the same time so her prediction her so called prophecy was untrue it failed but she misguided thousands of people misguided them in terms of their lives misguided them with their resources and all using the new testament so the christian new testament so this means any religious text is open for misinterpretation this misinterpretation occurs within the muslim community so within that same period you had the likes of harun yahya who's now been sentenced for well over a thousand years for abuse and other things but his books were prominent and he misused the ahadith of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam this means that even though we live in an age, in a time of intrigue we live in an age of nuclear uh, prolif- proliferation that nuclear weapons have spread and at the press of a button a nuclear war can happen at any time and similarly we have economic downslides we have the economy is unpredictable at any given point the dollar could crash at any given point currencies could crash and paper money or polymer money that we have now could be useless but this time of crisis if we look back just 100 years ago what did we have for instance we had the making of the federal reserve from 1911 onwards the federal reserve in america and then you had world war 1 1914 to 1918 but you also had the bloody bolshevik revolution in russia where hundreds and thousands of people were killed and at the same time you had the dismantling of the ottoman caliphate the caliphate was finished you had european powers entering general allenby entering in 1917 in december 1917 around this time december time entering the city of jerusalem supported by british indian troops including muslims meaning muslims from our background who supported the british and aided them in destroying and dismantling the ottoman caliphate In fact many people mention the Arabs were treacherous to the Turks if you actually check British documents in that period they mention the Palestinians saying that we could not communicate with the Palestinians because of their loyalty to the Ottomans you check the Do- David Lloyd George on record states we could not communicate with the Palestinians because they they were loyal to the Ottomans similarly the Syrians but even within within the arabian peninsula the arab tribes that did support uh, um, the british at the time they only numbered a few thousand they only numbered a few thousand and they were bought out with gold by whom 
what was his name? The British agent who was sent into the Arabian Peninsula at the time? Lawrence of Arabia. They called him Lawrence of Arabia and the Arab Bedouins would say that we were bought out with this Lawrence would bring gold coins. He bought out some of the Bedouin tribes. They supported the the British from behind enemy lines to dismantle some of the garrisons on the Bay of Aqaba. But they were not a great support. Allenby entered Jerusalem and then Faisal, who was the son of the Sharif, he was the son of the Sharif, the ancestors of the current Jordanian royal family, and they entered, Jordan, uh, they entered uh, Damascus at the time also, Damascus and Jerusalem. So, at that period of time, you had the destruction of the caliphate, the 1300-year caliphate, which exchanged hands. So, from the time of al-Khulafa al-Rashidun, then Banu Umayyah, then Banu Abbas, then Banu Abbas formally gave the caliphate to Banu Uthman. Now the Banu Uthman, according to Al-Imam Abdul Ghani al-Nablusi, they were Qurayshi. He wrote a whole book proving their lineage from Quraysh. He said they were Qurayshi. That's a different subject. But the formal giving of the caliphate, meaning the authority, seat of authority to the Banu Uthman, one thing you will notice about Banu Uthman, Ottomans, not a single sultan was Ahlul Bid'ah. This is a unique thing with regard to Banu Uthman. Banu Umayyah had deviants like whom Yazid. Yazid was a deviant. That's the position of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. And within them, there were some misguided individuals. Similarly with Banu Abbas. With, within Banu Abbas, there was some Mu'tazila who persecuted Al-Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, rahimahullah. They did some mis misguided deeds. But belief, in terms of belief, there were some of them who were misguided. But they were Khulafa because they had the formal authority because they were not declared Kufar. Even though there is a dispute with regard to Yazid. But we know with Yazid, he was mutaghallib. He took over by force. But the point being with the, the later, some of them, they were not declared kuffar, but they were, they were deemed as deviant in their belief. Some of them did tawbah. One incident that what happened in the, within the caliphate of the Banu Abbas, one of the caliphs, he saw a dream. And in the dream, he saw Rasulullah calling out to the people, saying, O oh people, Stick to the knowledge of Imam of Muhammad bin Idris al-Shafi'i. When the man saw this dream, the caliph, he did tawbah. Because Imam Muhammad bin Idris al-Shafi'i rahimahullah was Ahl Sunnah. So he adopted the Sunni creed. He left the Mu'tazili belief. But when you check Banu Uthman, all of them were Maturidi, Hanafi, Naqshbandi, Qadiri, and Sultan Abdul Hamid, Rahimallah was Shadili. His Sheikh was from Algeria. His Sheikh was Abu Shamat. They were all Sahihul Aqidah in belief. All 30 plus caliphs. So that period you saw the abolishment of the caliphate. The Dastur, the constitution was Islamic. The Dastur was Islamic. So you had the formal abolition of an Islamic dastur. Now in the Islamic world, what we refer to as majority Muslim countries, over 40 of them, the dastur is tainted. Of course, this started in the Ottoman Caliphate in what they had. They had something called the Tanzimat, the reform movements in the 1800s that attempted to develop the constitution. But what they deemed as development of the constitution was in fact backwardness. Because they abolished the jizya. The jizya was there to protect the minorities, not to harm the minorities. And similarly, they did other things within the Tanzimat. But the modern constitutions that we have in the Muslim majority countries, they are tainted constitutions. They are not completely Islamic. So during this time, then you had in 19... 18 also the Spanish influenza. So people died of 
after World War I, where millions died in the trenches, after that you have the influenza. Then what happens in 1929, 10 years later, the Great Depression, and people are queuing up for soup, with soup kitchens. Why am I mentioning this history? Because that time was also a time of what fitan? Tribulation. You had great tribulations. You had tribulation in beliefs like during the time in British Egypt. You had Lord Cromer who brought in Muhammad Abdu and Rashid Rida. Um, Muhammad Abdu was a student of Um Jamaluddin al Afghani and they brought in the reformist school which attempted to demolish the religion of Islam from its foundations. Similarly in India you had Sir Sayyid of Aligarh University attempting to demolish Islam from its foundations from the mid 1800s. These were tribulations. You had the tribulation of Mirza Ghulam Ahmed who was a man from India, Punjab, who constructed a white minaret claiming that this is the minaret of Sayyiduna Isa salam. Now his religion, his false religion was so influential even at that time that when you go and check some of the background of even what is known as the nation of Islam, of Elijah Pool, you will find the link to Qadiani. How the early translations of the Quran reached America reached the shores of America at a time when the Sunnis had not even penetrated America. And then it influenced some of the uh, black, in, uh, the black uh, civil rights movements, meaning the people within those movements, who then adopted a, a distorted religion. And they influenced Elijah Poole, and then Elijah Poole made his own religion, which is known today as Nation of Islam. So the, if you check all the history of the early 1900s and then you fast forward to 2022 and we are approaching now 2023. In between there have been so many tribulations like the first Gulf War in 1990. The rise and fall of communism in between. Then from 1990 the Gulf War you see the decimation of Iraq up to the invasion of Iraq in 2003. The plundering of Iraq, the plundering of oil wealth within the Muslim world. Then how the kingdoms change hands. How the kings are different. Meaning the kings of Saudi Arabia. The only nation in the world named after a family. So after the, the, the Ottomans are gone, the Saudi royal family is given the support of the British. And then the kings change hands. Meaning King Abdullah is different to the current king. Then the, the son of the current king is different to his father. This is all a timeline of what tribulation and fitr. And a part of a shratu sa'a. So what happens to the mind? A person thinks sometimes to themselves that the major ashrat, ashratu sa'a are so impending that they may occur tomorrow. And this in fact cannot be false as well because the signs could happen tomorrow. All it takes is the will of Allah. But at the same time, the signs could take a hundred years. So a person, they need help in navigating the end of time. How do you navigate the times that we live in? In terms of currently we are observing the increase inflation of, the inflation of money and the increase of prices. In history, this has happened so many times. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentioned in a hadith regarding Ashratu Sa'a that from the Ashratu Sa'a is Kasadu Suq, the falling markets. Kasaduha. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentioned this, he said the markets first, he said the, uh, the markets will draw close. They said, What's the drawing close of the markets? He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Kasaduha. It's the failing markets. Now, it, the markets being closed entails a world economy that we have stock markets in Japan, 
stock markets in New York, stock market in London, Nasdaq and all these various stock markets, but they gather the markets of the world within one place. Unprecedented. Never seen before. We never even witnessed this human humankind did not even witness this during the Roman Empire or during even the Muslim Caliphate. We did not witness the world markets in one place. This is the gathering of the markets. But then at the same time we have the failing markets because every so often there is a boom and bust cycle. <coughs> boom and bust. So from 1929 the Great Depression but then in recent history we had what in 2007 and 2008 we had a recession which is just a slowing down of of economy of commerce and trade and now we face inflation again that we have all these protests and even nurses and doctors who are in protest this week because they want higher wages why do they want higher wages because the the money itself is what is inflated so the, the money, the, the purchasing power within the money is gone. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentioned that from the Ashratu Sa'ah is a few things will be rare. One of them is mentioned is the dirham. What is the dirham? The silver coin. That the silver coin will be rare. Today if I said to you give me a silver coin, you would have to go on eBay or one of these websites, purchase a silver coin and then they send you the silver coin through the post. But in previous times, silver coins were the common, they were in common parlance, they were in use. People were using the silver coins. In the time of Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu an, the people of Bahrain sent as jizya hundreds and thousands of silver coins. But in the end of times, the silver coin will become rare. You travel from Australia all the way to Hawaii, not backwards, because that would be a short flight. The other way. You go from Australia all the way to the west, and the, and the world is round. Remember, don't believe in this flat earth theory. Yes, the world is round. You go from Australia all the way to Hawaii, and it will be difficult for you to even find people utilizing the silver coin. You will not find anyone utilizing the silver coin. And this is from Ashratu Sa'a. One of the signs. These are those Ashratu Sa'a that continue in every age. They take different forms. But how do we as Muslims navigate during those times? Should we fall into the trap? There are two traps. One trap is believing that the signs are so far that we do not need to worry about the signs. This is khilaf sunnah It goes against the sunnah. The second trap is more dangerous, which is misinterpreting the signs to the point that a person misinterprets the sign and then abandons everything and can at the same time be exploited by cult leaders, which happens to Muslims and non-Muslims. Like uh, the, the, uh, the Om Shin Shinrikyo cult in Japan, where they, if you remember in the 1990s, they placed sarin gas in the trains, in the trains and people died of the sarin gas. Or for instance, a cult in China recently, a Christian cult, they kill people if people deny their religion. Why are they so brainwashed? Manipulation of religious texts. Or ISIS. ISIS was a, re a recent Wahhabi cult. Or Wahhabism itself is a cult, but within Wahhabism there's a cult called ISIS that they brainwash people to the point that they believe that they are re-establishing the caliphate. Even though Wahhabis have never had a caliphate. The caliphate has traditionally mainly been Sunni. You've had odd Mu'tazili caliphs, but generally it's been a Sunni uh, institution. So, how were they able to be brainwashed to that point? Because of the manipulation of the environment and manipulation of the religious texts. Now, how did this happen in recent history? 
In recent history, for instance, in 1979, 1979 coincided with 1400 Hijri. And what happens when you reach a full year? You always have the apocalyptic cult predictions. So if you remember 1999, there was the Y2K bug panic. Because all the computer systems that were invented in the 1900s, the engineers could not think up beyond the year 2000, so they programmed the computers that, uh, with two digits only. So the digits would display 81, 1981. 82, 83, 84. And the problem was that when you reach 2000, 99 would turn to 00. So there was a panic because they believed a bug, a virus would crash the system. So we have all the databases with all these outdated. Now many of the younger people will think these machines are dinosaurs like the RM Nimbus and Atari ST and all these old systems, they thought that the system will crash all the databases to the point that airplanes will fall out from the sky. And there was a mass panic. And what happened? That the year 2000 coincided with Ramadan. The, the, when the year 2000 was entering, it coincided with the Rand. In fact, it was the 27th of Ramadan. So the predictions went wild. And this was before internet. So before internet, you could imagine how things could go viral. Now they go viral via the internet. But imagine viral without internet. And what went viral at the time? That when the 27th night of Ramadan enters, the world will crash and the system will crash. And everyone will go into panic. And some people, they left their homes and they went into the countryside areas panicking. And during that time, an old prime minister, some of you are so young that you probably won't remember him, Tony Blair. He enters into the, the dome. They, they constructed in London the dome as a symbol of modernity. Symbol of modernity. And he entered the dome and then... The new, the new millennium entered, 2000, and nothing happened. And of course, Christians were expecting Jesus to return. This was one thing that occurred in the Y2K bug. But at the same time, in 1979, what did you have? You had the Islamic year entering, 1400. And all of a sudden, a man known as Juhayman al-Utaybi, he takes up arms... And he hijacks Al-Masjid Al-Haram, Makkah Al-Mukarramah. The most important masjid. He, the most sanctified masjid. He takes up arms and he declares that the Mahdi has appeared. Now he, he had a spokesman and the audio of the spokesman, you can still listen to the audio to this day. They announce that many people have witnessed dreams. They have seen visions. Where the Mahdi will appear and these visions have become mutawatir, mass transmitted and now he has appeared in the form of Muhammad al-Qahtani who was the brother-in-law of Juhayman al-Utaybi. And then what happened? There were around 300 of them. They took dried milk powder in coffins. They took dates. This was for food because they knew that they would hijack the haram for really long. So they could get the dry milk powder and mix it in water and drink and dates. And they brought in guns uh, into the haram through coffins. And then they hijacked the haram, al-haram al-sharif, uh, or al-masjid al-haram. The city is al-haram, the masjid is al-masjid al-haram. Al-Sheikh Muhammad Ali al-Sabuni, rahimahullah, the mufassir of the Quran, he was in the masjid at the time. And he says when they started firing the rifles, the guns, he escaped through a, a window, a small window. And he said, because my head was small, I was able to get out. But what I am more interested in is how were they, these 300 men brainwashed? 
how were they brainwashed into an apocalyptic mindset which goes against the sunnah so there are two extremes one is saying these signs of the end of times the person said they are not true this is misguidance the second is what having an apocalyptic mindset to the point a person leaves his job and it happens all the time in recent times in, in our country here of England I went to a certain town like this and some young men they wanted to talk to me so I have a, dispos- uh, a personality where I never refuse people most of the time so I sat with them they thought Fulan is misguided, Fulan is misguided, naming ulama, Fulan is misguided. I said, why are they misguided? He said, because they take the, the vaccination. Because they take the vaccination, they are misguided. So they said, we want, meaning it was an interrogation. We want to know your opinion on the vaccination. At the end of the conversation, they revealed to me that they will sell their home they will sell their home and move abroad i advise them not to do this drastic moves uh, they didn't listen at the end they did sell their home and they moved abroad and then they were in difficulties abroad and now they have no home so they've come back to england they've sold their family home and there are they are in difficulties but similarly uh, some people they left jobs because they believe the end of times are coming and they do drastic moves so this is a different extreme so what happened with Juhayman al-Utaybi you read the history and you find the details of this in my book also you will find that initially Juhayman al-Utaybi he would attend some of the lessons of Abdul Aziz bin Baz a major Najdi scholar who passed away we refer to him as the desert storm mufti why the desert storm mufti because he was the mufti who gave the fatwa that the american forces can enter the arabian peninsula to launch war against iraq validating this so i i refer to him as the desert storm mufti but he is held in high veneration by the wahhabis he would attend the lessons of abdul aziz bin baz and he would attend the classes of Nasiruddin al-Albani and what is their methodology? their methodology is not only misguided in Aqeedah it's misguided in Fiqh also which their methodology is that every young person can read the Hadith for himself and then extract legal rulings from the Hadith abandoning the four schools what difficulties does this lead to? when you read the Hadith it's like a, a form of Protestant Christianity meaning if you read the history of Oliver Cromwell and the Protestant movement in England they are similar to that meaning everyone reads the Bible for themselves and gives their own interpretation I always say this and the Shia are like the Catholics so the the, the Najdis are like the Protestants and the, the Shia are like the Catholics in this regard but then what happened this young man Juhayman al-Utaybi he is investigated by the security forces in Saudi Arabia so he isolates himself when he isolates himself firstly they were active in Al-Madinatul Munawrah they begin to read hadith for themselves which hadith end of times when he reads these hadith he starts making his own interpretations he goes to jail he meets a man known as Al-Qahtani Muhammad al-Qahtani who they say was from Ahlul Bayt Allah knows best whether the claim is true or not and then what happened he convinced al-Qahtani that he is the Mahdi and then when the year Islamic year 1400 enters they will hijack al-Masjid al-Haram and then what will happen an army will come because the hadith mentions that when al-Imam al-Mahdi radiallahu and the bay'ah is given to him an army will come from Syria which will be swallowed so while they hijacked the masjid every day they would look uh, from from the roof of the masjid if they were able to there were snipers on the roof also waiting for an army to arrive no army arrived 
There are two major mistakes in this methodology. Number one is enforcing your own interpretation on the hadith. So people may have political grievances, they may have economic problems, they may have different problems within society, but they enforce their own interpretation on the hadith. The second major problem with this methodology was that it, it is like what? Al-Qadariya, as if they are saying that they are making their own future. Like the, the Armageddon cults in America. Now what do they do? They attempt to encourage and incite a war between Muslims, Arabs, against whom? The illegal state of Israel. Why? Because they believe when the nations will attack Israel, there will be a major war and that will bring in the second coming of Christ. So what mistake is this? They believe they are bringing in the end of times themselves. It's Qadari type belief. You believe you are bringing in the end of times. When in reality, no matter what Muslims do or what any nation may do, they can never do anything until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's will for that thing to occur. So, Ashratu Sa'ad, this is one of the major mistakes, and the other one, as I said, is denial of Ashratu Sa'ad, like denial of the return of Sayyiduna Isa alayhi salam, which is narrated by 28 Sahaba. Over 28 Sahaba narrate the return of Sayyiduna Isa alayhi salam. So, what is the correct methodology? The correct methodology is outlined in the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that the Sahabi radiallahu anhi states that when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam would discuss al-Dajjal, the false deceiver, sometimes he would discuss al-Dajjal to the point we would think that al-Dajjal is in the date trees. Now what was the purpose of that? The purpose of that was to instill in the hearts of the believers the fact that the dunya will never remain forever. And when they observe the ashratu sa'a occurring, it increases their iman and decreases their attachment to the material world. This is the purpose. So even Imam Muhammad bin Abdul Rasul al-Barzanji rahimallah in the beginning of his famous book, he says that why he wrote the book, one of the reasons was to increase people's connection to the Akhirah and decrease their connection to the dunya, to the material world. Why? The dunya, the world, has more magical effect than Harut and Marut. That today people worry about uh, sihr, magic problems. What do they not realize is that the material world has more of a bad effect on them than actual sihr. The love and attachment to dunya. So when you read an ashratu sa'a, it makes you connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is one purpose. The second is that when you read an Ashratu Sa'a, you see and witness the Mu'jiza of the Prophet So the exact descriptions given in the Hadith regarding the end of times. And you observe that. Like the famous one, when Jibreel inquired with regard to the Ashratu Sa'a, Sayyiduna Rasulullah said, أن ترى الحفاة العراة رعاء الشاء يتطاولون في البنيان. You shall see the عرات naked people, حفاة people with no shoes, رعاء الشاء herders of goats يتطاولون في البنيان competing in constructing tall buildings. One sign. We observe now since the oil boom what happened. You have countries like the UAE. They constructed Burj Khalifa, the, the tallest building in the world currently. But the, the Bedouinism remains in them. How? That the 
the tallest building in the world doesn't even have a gutter system that every day manually laborers from india pakistan bangladesh africa these type of places they have to manually transport the excrement of the entire building tons and tons and take it out to a waste place in the desert somewhere manually so the bedouinism still remains so the construction company may have been western but when the bedouin was looking at the plans he doesn't understand that such a tall building what effect does it have on the environment what effect does it have on the sewage system like i said abbas alawi rahimallah said to me with regard to them that sometimes i find sunni books in wahhabi bookshops i said why do they place sunni books in wahhabi bookshops he says because they have no brains they just look at the cover and they say the book looks good this book looks good has a kitab jayid and they just put the book down yes so the bedouin is still there but we see the sign in front of us some of our people our people uk people and our people from the east they seem to think and this is important with regard to the mindset that if you want to see advancement for a, of a muslim nation go to dubai and go to uae why because when the plane goes down they see construction sites and tall buildings what they do not realize is firstly that the construction companies are all western now if those bedouin arabs were constructing the buildings for themselves they would still be criticized because the construction the building doesn't even have a sewage system but what these bedouins are doing is paying western construction companies to construct those cities based on oil wealth this is not advancement advancement would be if you had an eco-friendly modern city eco-friendly modern city meaning uh, even an ancient city like uh, madinatul fas in morocco or the old city of marrakesh is much more advanced than dubai because the 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 people who constructed those cities were intelligent they made the houses from mud what does mud do when it's summer the house is cool when it's winter the house is warm they constructed the buildings close by why so the sun doesn't beat down on the person when he walks in the alleyways so he's always shaded that is what you call advancement u- utilization of the mind but if you go to a place like dubai you may have material things but there is human slavery human trafficking there is human trafficking that is not advancement that is not civilization you have no sewage system they have they have so many faults this is not advancement but what happened rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam also foretold something else in the same hadith which was what antalid al-amatu rabbataha that you shall see that the slave girl shall give birth to her mistress so the first part of the hadith is telling us the topsy turvy nature of what of the material world how the bedouin would think that constructing and the word used in the hadith is yatatawalun they will compete one another in constructing tall buildings this means what that the bedouins their mindset will be we will compete with one another now saudi arabia has a pro- project to to construct a even taller building more taller than the burj khalifa so the the sign has come about because the uae is a bedouin family and the saudis are a bedouin family so the sign has come about literally but also that you shall see the slave girl giving birth to her mistress what does that mean the changing of the mindset when you have a secular upbringing you do you are not instructed in quran and sunnah from a young age your mindset will be different the mindset will be that type of mindset that we observe in the muslim world today for instance in some countries you've had a secular elite running the country for so many years for decades but they refer to religion as being backwards so in pakistan for instance you've had a secular elite running the country for so many years but they will still say the mullah from the madrasa is backwards but the entire country and this goes true for india also does not have 
any gutter system. You go from one city to the other, they have what mosquito? Why? Because they leave open sewers. What happens with the open sewers? That you have excrement going into the water that causes what? Mosquitoes to infest the water and then what do mosquitoes spread? Malaria. The disease of whom? Of uh, Nimrud. Malaria spreads. So all these people saying, oh the mullah is backwards. The secular people have been running the country for over 70 years. They have not even made the gutter system good. Do not talk to us about the backwardness of Islam when you the secular people could not even sort out the gutter system. So all these promises in election campaigns, they should just sort out the gutter system for five years, nothing else. Even in India, over 300 million Indians, the last time I read statistics, do not even have toilets, yet Modi is planning to send people to the moon. Meaning, you want to make your country progressive, you want to send people to the moon, someone should tell him, he was a lungi also, that look, you want to progress your country, just build toilets for the people. Yes? Why? Because the thinking has been tampered. What is progression? So even water sanitation in Islam, you check the history of Islam and water sanitation. How Muslims sanitized uh, water conservation, how they preserved water. That is real civilization. If there was a real secular forward-thinking ruler in countries like Pakistan or India, the first policy they would have is that we will preserve, we will make good gutter systems and secondly we will have water conservation because the planet is suffering from a lack of water which is also from Ashratu Sa'a that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam foretold, prophesied that the water will an yanzu al ma'u ila aslihi that the water will go down back to its roots meaning into the rocks of the ground and similarly, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also told that there will be time when water will be so scarce that the, the last good water will be found in Bilad al-Sham, in Syria, that in the end of times. So this hadith also tells us that the mindsets of people will change, that like you have a topsy-turvy dunya, topsy-turvy dunya, where some people think progression is what? Is gambling, is women dressing naked, I mean half-dressed, and this foretold by Rasulullah the women are described as what? Al-ariyatul kasiyatu al-mumilatu ru'usuhunna ka'asnimatil bukht fa'idha ra'aytahunna fal'anuhunna that they will be dressed but naked at the same time. Something that was unknown. Now they're dressed but they're naked at the same time. Some people think this is progression. And they think hijab is backwardness. As if to say that if a woman has a hijab it makes her stupid. And if she takes off the hijab she goes intelligent all of a sudden. Meaning this is the backward thinking of these people. When in reality you tell them that cave people, cavemen were naked. Cave women were naked according to their, their projection of cave people. people. Backwardness is nakedness. But progression is what is the hijab. But this is the inverted thinking of the end of times which relates also to Ad-Dajjal. That when Ad-Dajjal will appear in one hadith, it mentions the musical instruments that will accompany a Dajjal. And it also mentions that most of his followers will be women. But inshallah we will leave this for another time. Because the subject is very deep. And inshallah we will open up for questions and answers. First of all, I'm sure we all appreciate Sheikh's um, discussion, his speech. Um, now, inshallah, we have had a few questions that have come through as he was under post there. That if you had any questions, then send them through, inshallah, we'll get them asked. Uh, due to time, inshallah, we'll ask a few of those questions that we have received. First of all, which I think is very important, especially 
seeing that we have many of our young children here, Sheikh, is that how should madrasa teachers and parents explain to the students and the children how to tackle the issues about around LGBTQ, feminism, religion, etc. that we are seeing around in this day and age? And what age do you advise that this should be done from? So from the age of five, initially young boys at the age of two or three, you can tell them you're a boy. Uh, you should teach them you're a boy, you are a male, instruct them in manliness, buy them these wooden ortogrol swords, instruct them in how to be a man. Yes, from a young age, make them assertive of their manliness and similarly with girls of their feminine, feminine nature. And then additionally, when they reach five, if you send your children to school, uh, schools of course institutionalize brainwashing places. If you do, in Ch the difference is in China they uh, impose that in a more harsh way here, they do it differently. But if you send your children to these institutions for eight hours a day, buy them a t-shirt, have t-shirts made, which is what I assert my, free, my freedom of speech. Yes? My freedom of speech. Make t-shirts like this, yeah, or on the school jumper, or a badge that I have the right to assert my opinion and my freedom of speech. So when they speak up in class, so if they are instructed with regard to homosexuality, they should ask the question, Sir, do they still refer to teachers as sir? Yes? No. Sir, can you inform us with regard to the STDs associated with homosexuality? Question. Oh, you are being disruptive in class. You are being, no, sir, my freedom of speech. I want to know with regard to the STDs associated with homosexuality. Simple. The complaint comes in to the parent. What is the problem? Your child asked a question. What was the question? STDs. There's no problem with this. Then you write a letter of complaint to the governors of the school. A hundred letters from a hundred parents. That my child has every right to assert his freedom of speech and freedom of thought and should not be a victim of institutionalized brainwashing programs. This is how you tackle it. Yes? How about in regards to madrasa, as a teacher of madrasa and there are many other teachers that are present here as well. How do we teach it to the students? In what manner do we need to present it to them? In the same way. So at also, uh, with my book, Islam and Atheism, you can make simple forms, summarize parts, and make them into small, easy paragraphs and instruct the children. Like the speaker before me, he was talking about uh, Kierkegaard, the philosopher. Now that philosophy is what is uh, with regard to individualism or expressing your own uh, opinion of the world. Now that's an actual philosophy. Summarizing that and explaining that but breaking it down according to Islam. Breaking it down according to Islam. Deconstructing these ways of thinking. So uh, for instance you have a, a moral relativism that morality is relative to time and place. You define that and you break it down. You instruct them that morality is not uh, something that is what is relative is not relative. Subhanallah. So another question that we have is similar along the same lines, but now more towards the adults. We go out to work, we go to universities, we go to colleges. How do we, in this time that we are living in, where propaganda is all around us, uh, these kind of uh, thoughts are being thrown literally at us? How do we protect ourselves and how do we... Two ways. Uh, one is what? Seeking knowledge of your religion. So with regard, everyone here should be reading my book, Islam and Atheism. Every adult, even every child should read that book, Islam and Atheism. It's available even here in Madani bookstore. 
you have the book just go buy it and read it read one book make some time and read one book secondly have confidence in your deen if you don't have confidence then you will not earn the respect of your colleagues confidence in your own deen you must have confidence and the only way you can increase confidence is knowledge you realize the superiority of Islam not our superiority we have no superiority Islam is superior so even the non-muslim if he adopts Islam he is superior Islam is superior so you need to learn about the superiority of Islam subhanallah and just one final question that we got via YouTube as well uh, is the question is is Shu'aib bin Salih the leader of the black banners according to Nuaym ibn Hamad so that narration is also found in the Sunan of Imam Ibn Majah and when the time occurs the, time, the sign will be self-evident who Shu'aib bin Salih is Jazakallah khair that kind of pretty much sums up the questions that we had uh, if anyone else has any questions one or two inshallah um, just to finish off yes So, uh, one thing you will realize about Sunni, Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah and Sufi orders that we cannot function properly without a Khilafah. We will always have institutional problems without a Khilafah. But it's an obligation on a group of people called Ahlul Halli wal-Aqd. Ahlul Halli wal-Aqd. And inshallah, in my upcoming book, you will find details on this very soon. A book on the caliphate, inshallah. اللهم اجعل القرآن الربيع قلوبنا وأذهب به أحزاننا وهمومنا يا رب العالمين اللهم إنا نسألك أن ترزقنا التقوى في السر والعلن يا رب العالمين واجعل ظاهرنا وباطننا سواء في طاعتك وترك المعصية يا رب العالمين واجعل جوارحنا مطيعة لك يا رب العالمين اللهم طهر قلوبنا من أدناسها واشف قلوبنا من أمراضها الباطنة من الحقد والحسد والبغض والكبر وسائر أمراض القلب يا رب العالمين اللهم اجعل أبداننا هينا لينا في طاعتك وترك المعصية واجعل جوارحنا مطيعة لك يا رب العالمين اللهم ارزقنا حسن الخاتمة واحفظنا من سوئها يا رب العالمين واختمنا على الإسلام والسنة والجماعة يا رب العالمين اللهم احفظنا من الفتن ما ظهر منها وما بطن واحفظنا من المحن والبلايا التي تخرج من الأرض وتنزل من السماء اللهم احفظنا من الآفات والأسقام والأوجاع والأمراض وارزقنا الصحة الكاملة يا رب العالمين اللهم ارحم والدين كما ربيانا صغيرا واحفظنا من عذاب القبر وضغط القبر وظلمة القبر ووحشة القبر وآنسنا بالقرآن الكريم في الدنيا والآخرة اللهم اجعل سورة الملك منجية لنا في قبورنا يا رب العالمين اللهم اجعل موتنا سهلا يا رب العالمين 
واحفظنا من عذاب القبر وفتنة القبر وجعلنا من الذين يأردون على حوض النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وجعلنا من الواردين على حوض النبي الشاربين من أيديه الشريفة وجعلنا من الذين تبيضوا وجوههم بعد شربة هنيئة لا ظمآن بعدها يا رب العالمين اللهم جعلنا من من قارئي القرآن آناء الليل وطراف النهار اللهم اللهم حفظنا من القرآن ما نسينا يا رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين